No one knows how it all began. Not even the dead. But everyone knows that it did. Fortunately, no one needs to know to nevertheless begin living deliberately, drawing more fun and happiness into their lives. Unfortunately, however, this isn't nearly as apparent to the living as it is to the dead. These days, there are far more advanced civilizations spread throughout the cosmos, including our world in times to come, the future, in which the living know, just as much as the dead, about all things, right now. However, for reasons that will soon become clear as you make your way through these pages, the dead have a hugely improved perspective. They see more. They remember choosing their lives. They remember the love, inescapable, caressing, and sublime. Thus, they have something to say to the living who presently know none of this. These are very primitive times, which makes the top 10 things the dead have to tell you all the more pressing. How do I know? I just do, in the same way you know you're loved without even hearing it. And you'll understand more as we go along. How we know what we know is not quite as important as that. We know it, right? As long as it's the truth. Just like you don't have to know who turned on a light in a darkened room to make use of that light. This is the case. Of course, with the truth concerning life and death, It doesn't matter how many opinions there are of it. The truth is what it is. And it doesn't matter how you find it. Just that you do. And the sooner you do, the greater your peace. The way you'll know it's the truth is that it'll make sense. Logically, intellectually, and emotionally. Which isn't too often the case. Given the versions of it that have been tossed about in recent millennia. Finding it, you'll feel liberated, empowered, clear, joyful, loving, your confusion banished, and then suddenly you'll see its evidence everywhere, even right under your very nose, including your nose itself. Plus, you'll probably happy dance a lot. Dancing in the Truth of Love happy feet on because this book is about dancing in the truth of love that you've silently felt your whole life fear not i won't ask you to make any huge leaps of blind faith to keep up with my explanations instead i'll share all that i've come to know with a bit of logic and common sense now and in the chapters that follow for starters plus if you thought as all mainstream quantum physicists do that time and space are illusionary and plus If you believe, as you 92% of the living, that we survive our own physical death, then that equals, wouldn't you expect the dead to be extremely anxious to reach out to comfort and inspire those they love in humanity at large? You answered yes, right? You'd obviously expect that after having just traversed their own mortality from cradle to grave, with the absolutely stunning realization of their continued existence, with personality and sense of humor intact they'd want to shout it from the mountaintops finding that in spite of their own sins and embarrassing fox paws they're bathed in love and have a vastly improved view of what life is all about 
they naturally want to shake their tail feathers for us. Imagine being the dearly departed loved one yourself, post-after party, taking a peek back down on earth, happy tears, still wet on your cheeks, and seeing the heartbreak and bedlam among the grieving left in your wake. Shiver me timbers. Suddenly, nothing would be more important than reaching back to tell them it's okay. All is supremely well. You're not dead. You'll meet up later. It's still their turn. Keep on dreaming. <laughs> Keep on living. Keep on loving. And wouldn't receive receiving such news fantastically change everything for the living forever? And who better to calm the bereaved and inspire all of us than those we love and miss? What's not God? The compulsion of the dead to reach out intensifies when they discover there's no trace of a God in the afterlife as depicted by nearly every religion, which is really great news when you consider how most religions depict God. Of course, there is a God, just not like the one taught by the blind who lead the blind. Words sometimes slip when we try to apply them to truth, but to approximate, God is the sum of all that is, every voice, every heartbeat, every man, woman, and child, every animal, every insect, every boulder, planet, and mote of dust, including sentient, beings far removed from time and space. What's not God? Might be asked to simplify the answer. Nothing. You're getting this, aren't you? It's what you suspected all along. We do know the truth when we meet it because it runs in our blood and forms our DNA. And so when we ponder great questions or hear new ideas, we can, if we're ready, finally allow ourselves to remember it. The truth is who and what we are, neither abstract nor fleeting. We are it, come alive. It's objective, real, simple. And while there may be an infinite number of roads to Rome, none of them changes Rome. We know the truth when we meet it. It's just that having taken the plunge into life ourselves in this early stage of our civilization, spiritual development, we don't usually grant ourselves permission to go to places in thought that we can't touch, taste, see, hear, or feel. Very caveman, yet very predictable. For where we are in our evolutionary evolutionary arc, these are primitive times. And given that times are defined by the people who occupy them, we are primitive people. Not by chance, though, but by design. We knew it would be like this. We chose to show up early in humanity's development, perhaps as part of the price for getting to show up later as masters, or because the possibilities that exist today won't exist in the same way later on. Doesn't really matter now. We're here. Babes in the jungles of time and space, and therefore understandably sacred sorry, understandably scared by the world around us, feeling vulnerable, relying almost exclusively on our physical senses to label, define, and make progress. Ew and ouch. While there may be an infinite number of roads to Rome, none of them changes Rome. If it's broken, fix it. Yet, being born naive doesn't mean we must remain so. Our ignorance has served its purpose. The illusions have gotten our attention. Game on. Now, the training wheels that first helped us move forward are outgrown and slowing us down. Tears are being needlessly shed. Hearts are being needlessly broken. 
It's time to change our orbit. Time to bring on the dead. Big brothers and sisters of a sort. Though far more intimately than through blood. Who yearn to help their tribe and flatten life's learning curve as soon as possible. After all, being long, our roles will reverse. Before long, our roles will reverse. Today, they have what you need. Perspective. You have what they need. The world they will soon inherit. Besides, we're family. They love you. And you love them. And what they have to tell you is absolutely electrifying. Transformational. Fear-killing. And joy-inducing. The truth about who you are. How you got here. And what you can do with your time and space. Of course, the dead don't have the kind of voice you can hear. Yet nor do they have laptops, keyboards, or internet access. So, if I may, I'll be your host. I'm as ordinary and extraordinary as you are, except that maybe I remember a bit more. I believe I chose this life, in part to do just that, remember more, with the mindset, parents, and other circumstances that have included some fantastic memory enhancers and an inclined inclination to spend 40 of my 53 years blissfully questioning, puzzling, and ultimately tapping into the truth. During those years, my main objective has been to live my discoveries, to apply these timeless answers to my life, deliberately shaping it for my own happiness and prosperity. For the past 14 years, however, much to my surprise, I've also become a full-time teacher on the nature of reality, living a life that is as much an example of what I teach as it is the cause of my joy. Coincidence? I think not. I started searching early, as a teenager, and by the time I was a freshman at the University of Florida, my quest for the truth led me to dwell upon death, big time. Why do we die? Everyone. Gone forever. Really. The next thing I knew, mom began sending me books that, when combined with my own gut feelings and hunches, answered my questions and rocked my world. Turns out, that wondering about death can teach you a lot about life, the process of opening your mind while expecting answers, coupled with taking action, knocking on doors and turning over stones, makes you a lightning rod for breakthroughs. Nothing frees you like the truth and nothing holds you back more than not knowing it. Knowledge is power. It heals what hurts, fills what's empty, clears what's confused, lightens what's heavy, brings friends together, turns dust to gold, and raises the sun. A man or woman tuned in and turned on to the truth becomes an unstoppable, super cool, happy, loved thing. Yeah, I made that word up. Thanks. As a teacher of reality, however, I don't make things up. I share what's obvious. I try to make it fun. I have a good time. For instance, over the past 12 years, I've been sending out a free daily email called Notes from the Universe. Small drops of truth, sometimes packaged humorously, now received daily by almost 600,000 subscribers. I also write books, record audio programs, shoot DVDs, and host talks all over the world. By no means have I unraveled all the mysteries of the universe. I'm still far less aware than my dog or even the grove of cypress trees in my front yard. But I do know the answers to the important questions. I know who we are, why we are, how we got here, and what we need to do to bring about major life changes. Answers anyone can tap into, and many have. Wouldn't you expect, after all, that life and our place in the universe be knowable? Really knowable, including the before and after parts? My experiences, my experiments, my life have shown me they can be. 
That's what the 10 things in this book are about. Knowing the truth and thereby moving through fear and creating consciously. This is what the dead all along... Oh, this is what the dead, along with anyone who is alive and aware and who cares about you ardently want you to know. The parameters for thriving on earth when they're not rehashing where they've been or studying what's next the dead's favorite seat in the house is in the bleachers cheering you on not on the couch wiping away your tears not metaphorically but literally they're watching you watching humanity now slapping their celestial foreheads excitedly pounding fist on knees shouting advice offering encouragement whispering sweetness into your ears as you needlessly bumble around in the dark nothing frees you like the truth and nothing holds you back more than not knowing it Chapter 2. There's no such thing as a devil or hell. There has perhaps been no lie greater than the one told of a devil awaiting sinners in hell. Any good it may have done in preventing people from sinning has surely been offset by the mass manipulation it it makes possible. Extracting subservience from what becomes confused, unhappy lives filled with regret, guilt, and fear. Of course, for sinners discovering the lie while crossing the threshold between worlds, instead of having to meet their maker, or worse, a big red devil, it makes possible a delirium of joy that is quite unrivaled. They are elated to find that not only are they immortal, but they are approved of, appreciated, forgiven, and adored, just exactly as they are. If only they solemnly think to themselves, I'd known this while living, how different things might have been. Fortunately, they see clearly that eternity still beckons, and happy opportunities around, and maybe, just maybe, they can take what they've discovered and share it with those who are still living. The beginning of fun. First of all, it's the dichotomy of the illusions again that seems to make everyone wrong. To you, if there's an up, there must be a down. If there's a black, there's white. If before, then after. And from where you are within the illusions, you're right. There are. It's just that the illusions of time, space, and matter are illusions. You unknowingly live your life inside a house of smoke and mirrors while attempting to explain the world outside. Naturally given such a handicap, exasperated mightily, by not knowing you're handicapped. There's a general belief that if there's a god, there must be the opposite, a devil. Yet things are so not as they seem. What most can't see is that without the illusions, there's no time, no space, and no matter, and therefore no dichotomies, which means no here or there, no before or after, no wanting what you have, not or having what you don't essentially nowhere to go no one to go with nothing to do and besides you've nothing to wear no adventure no fun that's what the illusions are for the price of fun and adventure as as made possible by the illusions is believing in the little old lies of here versus there and so on but once the game is on it's hard to know where to draw the line And people take this whole concept to places, 
it needs not go. For example, it's why some folks needlessly, even when it hurts and terrifies, believe in the devil and hell. Yin and Yang. Opposites exist within the illusions, which implies something really profound, something obvious that everyone's been missing. They're theoretical. While the dichotomies of time and space can make opposites possible, the truth is they don't necessarily have to exist. They remain as potentials until or unless you create them. To most, however, it's assumed that to have one, you must have the other. For example, to be happy, you must know sadness. To have light, dark, must exist somewhere. To feel cool, you must know hot. Every up means there's a down, and vice versa. Hardly, while the dichotomies create objectivity with theoretical extremes at either end, it's naive to think that by knowing, reaching, or otherwise experiencing one end, you must know, reach, or experience the other. Remember, they're all illusions anyway. They're all, they're actually ascetics who shun joy and happiness, thinking it will precipitate eventual depression and sadness. Yet this ignores the fact that love is the glue that holds creation together, not love and hate in equal measure, that life is good, not equal measures of good and bad. It neglects that you are of the divine, by the divine and inclined to succeed, not inclined to succeed and fail equally. Feeling cold does not mean that later you have to feel hot in equal measure, nor does living in the northern hemisphere mean that you must one day inevitably live in the south hemisphere, nor does living a life of joyful service to others mean that the pendulum must swing, turning such good Samaritans into axe murderers. One need not to suffer to know joy, nor be afraid that happiness will later require sadness. And neither does a belief in God mean there must be a devil, any more than a belief in heaven means there must be a hell. It's all good. All of which kind of evidences the raw goodness of life. Yes, good is part of an illusionary dichotomy. Nice catch. Still, it's far more accurate to say that life is good than to say it's good and bad, which is awesome. It creates hope gives traction, instills optimism, and fosters cooperation. It's also far more accurate to say that God is good than to say God is good and bad. In fact, it's as if all the good you have ever heard about life, God and yourself is correct, but none of the bad is. Which leads us to, to yes, there is a heaven by which we simply mean your awareness continues beyond the grave but no hell. Sure, these may sound like airy-fairy people serving judgment calls, except there's evidence of their absolute truth everywhere. That you are, that I am, that life, however, the heck it began, has somehow carried on. That against all logic and probabilities, and in spite of humanity, it has not run out of gas, imploded, or self-destructed. To the contrary, it continues to expand, get better and keep rolling. The commonly believed alternative is that evil exists on its own, of its own volition, and that somehow we just lucked out as good keeps gaining the upper hand. Yet, if evil existed on its own, 
wouldn't you think it would learn to be successful? At least in some quarters, that it would get better and better organized and become more and more evil. Has such an evidence itself anywhere in nature, destruction for destruction's sake, if evil did exist as a force unto itself and it became more and more evil once it crushed and conquered all goodness, then what? Kill itself? Don't you see that if evil existed on its own in any way small or large, it would eventually self-destruct? It couldn't carry on unsupported. There's nothing to support it. There is only life. It is all good. It's all God. These words are synonymous, absolutes that continue to play themselves out in front of eyes that want to see things as they are. Life equals good. Love equals one. One equals God. While people may long yet do do evil and bad things, it is never because they are evil or bad themselves. And while this does not seem to be remotely the case, in the world today, we barely scratch the surface of all that the dead want to tell you, much of which will also help you understand the evil and bad things people do. The old argument, but what if God loved so dearly and was so wise, big and courageous that he gave to his children the greatest gift conceivable, the freedom to make their own choices, to learn right from wrong? Yes, nice, and with such a gift, all could then live forever and ever and ever, growing and learning and becoming and improving, right? No, unfortunately, that's not how the story goes. Instead, after some unimaginably brief period, assumed by most to be a single human lifetime, no matter who your parents were or were not, no matter where you were born, when you were born, and no matter how short your life was, upon its termination, you could expect that the whole freedom thing was just a test and that and then would follow judgment and sentencing wait if god truly loved so dearly and was truly the magnanimous in handing out the greatest gift freedom wouldn't the testing judging thing mean that somewhere along the way we offer had terminated how great is your freedom if hypothetically during a brutal life on earth born during a famine abandoned sexually abused you understandably spent the remainder of your life simmering in hatred and doing wicked things yourself before your murder at age 32 you'd then be locked in hell for eternity or what if after delightful life on earth with loving parents in a modern society you once cheated on your income taxes and lied to get your child into harvard Coasting an honest child with honest parents that spot. Red hot pokers forever. Or what if you were the first person in history of people to never make a mistake or do an unkind thing toward others, yet you accepted no prophet as your savior and rejected all religions? Ashes for lunch? Again? It's a bit counterproductive, contradictory, and arbitrary to give folks freedom to learn and then not only suddenly deny it, but exact a stern punishment without end what if hypothetically it took most people a few times at bat meaning several decades or lifetimes before they acquired a sense of fairness and justice too bad what if soul number 19428939045 had failed the first 19 lifetimes and had it not been for the big renegade and eternal damnation on the 20th his good goodness would have smacked the ball so far out of the park with such 
profound benevolence and kindness for all, it would have permanently altered the course of human evolution, ushering in a golden age of caring and kindness so grand it's not even conceivable on the present plane. Or let's say it might have taken him 19 million times at bat before making such a mark in history. If eternal bliss lay beyond, mind you, that's a very long time and a whole lot of bliss for everyone, evermore. Suddenly, 19 million times at bat becomes a pittance to pay for such stellar returns, as, as does 19 billion or trillion or zillion given the inconceivable scope of eternity. The beautiful idea of God loving humanity so deeply that he gave us freedom is blown to smithereens. On the day such freedom is taken back, considering that on that one day there could have been a breakthrough that now can never be. And we haven't even posed the greatest of all questions that in a split second, if we even attempt to answer, obliterates the entire notion of hell and the devil. Why? Why would such amazing intelligence fumble around with such a pointless drill as having children in order to test, judge, and sentence them? The whole notion reeks of the immaturity, boredom, impatience, anger, contempt, sadism, and failure of the age it was crafted in. Thousands of years ago, at a very dark time in human history, 